was as we continue to worship God more intimately by understanding more accurately his attributes. In the first quarter, God the Father. In the next, this quarter, God the Son. Uh, we come, last week we talked about the amazing attribute that God would actually be a servant. Now, we're going to even more specifically center in on an area of servanthood. That is reconciliation. Jesus served us by making the way for our reconciliation to God. And then the servanthood or the ministry he gives us in that same way. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And I'm going to begin with uh, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. In this you will note, please, as we go along... The difference between reconciliation and redemption. We're going to keep kind of on the mechanical part of reconciliation this morning. The, the, the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 that God has reconciled all the world to himself. But you know as well as I do, not all the world is close to God. So reconciliation is, is different than closeness. But reconciliation makes a way for closeness. And there are certain mechanics that you have to go through before you can provide the avenue for closeness. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It says in his word, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And then it kind of defines new creature. Old things passed away. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. New things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled to us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry. The Greek word here is diakonia, and it means serving. It gave us a way to serve, watch this, of reconciliation. Not only does Christ do it for us, we can do that for others. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And here's a little brief definition of the mechanics of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's what we're going to center on this morning. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. (laughs) Let's talk first about the attitude. Why we want to talk about reconciliation at all. Why, 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 before we ever get to the mechanics, we've got to put it in the proper attitude. Put Put it in the proper context. Why there's even... Why there's even an opportunity for reconciliation. Out of what kind of relationship must must reconciliation arise? Listen to this. Before you can ever get to the place where you are willing to be reconciled, you have to love in a way that is not utilitarian. That is beyond what that person can do for you or be for you or what improvement can come to your life if that person will simply love you. Romans 5, 8, we just read, says this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was no benefit for Christ in him dying for us. Especially, we weren't even asking for it. We didn't even know it. And so therefore, he was loving us in a non-utilitarian way. What does that look like? Well, it's good that it's Mother's Day because there's some good examples of mothers living in a non-utilitarian way. I can can hardly grasp why anybody would want to be a mother. 
there's so much sacrifice. I mean, I really do. I mean, I'm thinking, what, what, where does this, just for a glimpse of hope every now and then. Uh, some of you have signed on to motherhood. This is amazing to me. Uh, I, I love the story of, of uh, John William Smith. He tells about his mother and all the pain he caused her uh, growing up. And he says, one of the, this is one of the episodes out of his life. He, says, he said, you know, my mother loved to grow things. She loved, she, we had apple trees and pear trees and, and, and grape arbors and, 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 and flowers. We had lilies and, and, and violets. And she loved to grow things. And she always wanted a cherry tree. Even though the Murdochs were right beside us and they had this huge cherry orchard. And they would give us all the cherries that we wanted. My mother wanted her own cherry tree. So, so we, we got one. We, I mean, it was, a, it was a sapling. It was a, and, and I dug a hole for this thing. He said, I was just a little boy. I dug this like three foot hole. And, 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 and I, he said, I watched my mother nurture and fertilize. I, I'm surprised the thing didn't die from too much attention. She just, she just babied that thing. And, and, and he said, you know, in the second season, it bore fruit. I mean, it actually had cherries on it. Now, not, not enough to make a pie, but enough so that my mother stuck some of those in her purse. And, and, and she'd pull them out and her friends, look, cherries, I got cherries. My cherry tree produced cherries. He said, I remember going, with, going shopping with my mother at the old AMP stores. Remember the old AMP? He said, we are at, at Royal Oak, at, at the town of Royal Oak, we would go into the AMP store. And, and, and while she would go into the AMP store, I would go to Friends and Sons um, um, uh, hardware store. He said, a, a hardware store was a fascinating place for a little boy. I mean, there were great bins of nails and, and rows of shovels. And, and, and there, were, there, were, um, there was fishing gear, lures and, 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 and nets. And, 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 and there were racks of, of guns. I was fascinated with those guns. And, and he said, but I would always end up at the same place, at the knife counter. Knives, he says, are fascinating to little boys. And I'd look at all the knives in there. But he said, my, my, my eyes would always come to rest upon the same prize. There was what was called a belt hatchet. Some of you know these things. The, the, there's, a, there's a leather thing that attaches right to your belt. And you can slip a little hatchet down in it. And walk around <laughs> with your own hatchet. Oh yeah, that's a man thing. Got a hatchet on me. Got a hatchet. And he said, I begged my mother for that. I begged her and begged her. I finally badgered her enough and swore enough I would never hurt myself or anybody else if I could only have the belt hatchet. That in a weak moment, she got me the belt hatchet. Well, I put that thing on my belt. Went right home, started whacking stuff. That's <laughs> what you do with a hatchet. You whack stuff. And it was very sharp, you know. And he said, I whacked two before's and I whacked old crates and I whacked this and I whacked that. And he said, but somehow it wasn't satisfying. I felt like I ought to cut something down. <laughs> You're not waiting for me on this, are you? <laughs> he said, every tree on our lot was way too big. Except... That cherry tree. And he said, I went over to the cherry tree. And he says, you know, I know it's preposterous. I should have known better. But, but somehow in my mind, there was a legitimizing factor. And that is that my teacher in school had told me that George Washington had cut down a cherry tree. <laughs> and I knew for a fact that George Washington was a hero. 
And so it didn't seem so bad if I were to cut down. Yeah, well, he said, well, I didn't go just cut it down. Uh, he said, I, I kind of practiced on the limbs. And I just kind of whacked on a limb. And then, oh, that just kind of fell off pretty nice. And I whacked on another. And I whacked on another. And I whacked on another. And pretty soon, it was just this stem coming out of the ground. <laughs> and all of these branches were lying around. Leaves already kind of getting limp. Well, he said, then my conscience kicked in. He said, what good is a conscience anyhow when it only kicks in after the fact? <laughs> Where was my conscience when I needed it? Why, why didn't it say? Now, John, think about this. Now, John, you don't want to go here. But no, it waits till I get done. And then it says, now look what you've done. That's why you need the Holy Spirit and not just a conscience. But he said, oh, man, I looked at this thing, and, and it was just awful looking, and I knew I was going to break my mother's heart, and, but my mother was in the kitchen, and I knew that I had to tell her because I, I knew my mother well enough to know that things would go better for you if you confessed up front rather than if she discovered them. And so I went into the kitchen. Now he said, I'd studied my mother for years, and, and, and I knew that usually if you took a more cheerful approach, things went a little bit better. And so he said, I just kind of lightly went into the kitchen and I said, hey, I know a little boy that chopped down a cherry tree. <laughs> well, my mother was all sweetness and light and she said, oh, I know that little boy. That little boy was George Washington. <laughs> and he said, and then I said to my mother, no, it was uh, John Smith. <laughs> he said the atmosphere in the kitchen <laughs> changed very abruptly. Gone was the sweetness and light out of her voice. Did you chop down my cherry tree? Well, she grabbed my left ear with her right hand. Boy, oh boy, was I in trouble because she was right-handed. And man, she just led me out. And we stood right in front of that cherry tree. Man, it was pitiful looking. It's like, it like a flagpole with a little green on top. He said, my mother burst into tears which I felt bad about, was, but I was kind of glad about because she was crying so hard she needed both hands to cry. <laughs> and I was thinking just for a second, she's so sad about this. Maybe things will go not as bad for me. I was wrong. <laughs> he said she whooped me with every branch of that cherry tree laying on the ground. <laughs> She said, he said, I never thought she'd give up. I thought she was going to go to the pear tree and get some more branches. <laughs> he said, the only thing that I was glad about was that she was whacking me with the branches instead of the hatchet. <laughs> but he said, you know, my mother didn't give up on that cherry tree. She continued to water it and fertilize it and love it. And today... There's this gorgeous fruit-producing cherry tree in our yard with only a few scars to remind me of my foolishness. But what is even more special is that my mother didn't give up on me either. She continued to water me and nurture me. And today, there's a Christian because my mother's life 
with Christ. And today there is a Christian that produces fruit with only a few scars to remind me of my foolishness. Why should we ever not count people's trespasses against them, against us? Why should we ever go to the place where when somebody hurts us, we say, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to continue to count that against you. It's because that's the attitude that God has had toward us. He has never given up on us, no matter what we've done. The Bible says this. It defines reconciliation, really, in verse 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When do you get to the time in your life when you don't want to fight the battles anymore? When you don't want to live your life by quarreling. When you don't want to live your life by trying to gain power over one another. When you don't want to live your life by expending energy in order to be angry, in order to hold a grudge, in order to hope for revenge. When do you live your life so that you don't want to deal with the barriers anymore? You see... When we trespassed against God, we literally built a wall of sins between us and Him. And with the sacrifice of Christ, that wall was broken down and a path was cleared. Why? Because He destroyed those sins by not counting them against us. He said, I'm not going to live behind the wall. I'm going to not count that wall. I'm going to destroy that wall. When are we going to start living like that? Some of you are ready this morning. We live in a world where we do stupid stuff to one another, and then we, and then we wonder why we don't have good relationships. We say dumb things to one another, incendiary things toward one another. We gain power by cutting one another down. We think our relationships are going to be more secure if somehow we keep on top of the other one in the relationship. Nothing could be further from the truth. It works just the opposite. But yet we continue. We take these little shots at one another. And they may be funny at the time. They may be true. But it doesn't get us to where we want to go. I heard a story the other day about a man who looked at his wife and said, you talk like an idiot. And she looked at him and said, well, I have to talk that way so you can understand me. <laughs> well, that's wonderful repartee. And it may be funny. It may even be true. But it doesn't build a relationship. It doesn't build the kind of love that either one of them wants. When are we going to stop doing that with one another? And when are we going to just say, you know, all of those things that you said this far, 
that I could hold a grudge, I'm not going to. Because I don't want to live like that. It's not the kind of relationship I want. I do want a relationship. But I realize if I keep that stuff, if I maintain that wall, we'll never love one another. Like I know that we would both enjoy. So there's one way to get rid of those things. There's one way to make a path, make it possible. And that is to not count the trespasses. How can we do that? That's in verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. New things have come. Now, what has passed away? Well, if you, if you look at Romans 6, 6, it's very clear. 6, 6, 6, 14. It says this, that when we die with Christ, so does the power of sin in our life. Until we have Christ in our life, sin is so irresistible. This whole dynamic of trying to win over one another, which is the world's way. The whole dynamic of, of gaining power, which is the world's way, is irresistible to us. But when we look at what God has done for us in Christ, and when we say, God, you could have crushed me, but instead you, you, you died for me. You should have pushed me away, but yet you came to me. You should have hated me, but yet you loved me. When we look at that and when we say, that's the kind of life I want to live. And therefore, not only, God, do I gratefully accept your sacrifice on the cross to pay for my sins, but I ask you to come and give me your life, that kind of life. <laughs> and when that happens, the Bible says, there's a whole new creature. And we don't have to go to war anymore to prove who we are. Or to secure our place in other, each other's lives. You know why? Because we've already won. We've got the kind of life that is eternal life in us. We're already victorious. And when you're victorious, and when you know you're victorious, you don't have to prove anything anymore. You don't have to come back with an even more clever response. You don't have to do it. Nor do you have to feel like a doormat. Because you know who you are in Christ. I heard a story one time about Joe Lewis, uh, I'm a boxing fan, because my grandfather was a boxing fan. Joe Lewis was world heavyweight champion, 1937-1949. And during the war, during World War II, he pulled a little hitch, uh, doing some things in the Army. And, and at one point, he was riding with a buddy, and they, he was driving a truck, and got in a little fender bender. It was his fault. Well, this guy in the other truck, not realizing who had hit him, just got out and started the road rage thing. I mean, started yelling, cussing, screaming, threatening. And Joe Lewis, heavyweight champion of the world, just sitting there grinning at him. The guy sitting by Joe Lewis said, true story, why don't you just get out and just flatten the guy? Just deck him. You know, he's all, you know. And Joe Lewis looked at him and said this. If Caruso had run into him, Caruso was a famous tenor at the time, and he was insulting Caruso like this, would Caruso get out and sing an aria?
I will not show him what I do best. You see, when you know who you are, you don't have to prove it. You don't have to prove it. Do you know who you are? Those of you who are in Christ are a new creature. You don't have to live like that, like the world lives anymore. Not only that, but you can help others not live like that. Look at what else it says. I'll close with this. Namely, verse, verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've got this service. We've got this witness that by our letting things go, not going to count it. That doesn't count with me. Not going to live like that anymore. We become, look at verse 20, we become ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me tell you a little bit about ambassadors. In the Roman Empire, when this was written, there were two kinds of provinces. One was a senatorial province. That was, it was, it was, it was ruled by the, the government uh, senators. Those provinces were the provinces that were glad to be in the kingdom. They were at peace with the kingdom. And, and, and uh, there were no troops stationed there. There was no need of troops being stationed there. But there were other provinces, more hostile territories, where troops were stationed so that they could be kept in line. And those were called imperial provinces. Those were under the direct command of the emperor. And he would send to them an ambassador. The, the, the Greek word is presbyomen. The ambassador would go and he would live among them. And he would live out the terms on which they could be included into the empire. If they were wise enough to want to be included to be in the, to be in the empire. That's the image that God gives to us. Each of you is directly given the authority from the emperor, King Jesus. To live in a hostile world. I don't have to tell you how hostile the world is. You you read it in the newspaper every day. You live in it. You live in a a world where, where there are always ethnic battles if not with guns, then with attitudes in this country. You live in a world where school children shoot each other. You live in a world where, where you're in danger honking at somebody because they're, you're afraid they're going to come over in your lane and you don't know whether or not they've got a gun. You live in a violent, hostile world. There isn't any place in this world that needs reconciliation, that doesn't need the reconciliation of God, that doesn't need a minister of reconciliation, that will not go there, not go to those hostilities, not live like that. We have the duty to live out in this world the terms of peace. 
So here's what I want to do right at the end. I want to have a little application time. Let me ask the uh, worship team to come out. And I want to do three things. First of all, I want you, just for a few seconds, to let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind those trespasses, those sins that you have done against God. Watch this. So that you can be glad he's laid them aside. This should be a moment of great celebration for us. Thank you, God, for not counting that against me. Thank you, God, for not holding that against me. Thank you, God. Let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind all that God has forgiven you of. Some of you may just get a day's worth here. Some of you may get a repetitive one. But, but I want you just to celebrate right now in the quietness of your heart and thank God for not holding those trespasses against you. All right? Then I'll be back up. We're going to sing, then I'll be back up.